Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Our topic today is a variety of renewable energy options for powering your home. There are more options than you might realize. And our guest today is Anna DeSimone, and she is a a nationally recognized expert in housing finance. She's actually the author of more than 40 professional guidebooks and over 600 articles on the topic of fair and responsible lending. Um, And she's been featured as an entrepreneur by Forbes magazine and Bloomberg markets. And she currently provides expert commentary for news articles that are published by outlets like Forbes, Boston Globe, the Chicago Tribune, Dallas Business Journal, and the Washington Post. So we are in good hands today with the topic that we'll be discussing Welcome back to Go Green Radio, Anna. It's great to have you back. And, uh, you know, we talked about your book, Live in a Home That Pays You Back, the last time you were on. And I'm really excited to talk to you about renewable energy options for our home. So let's start with solar. And they're getting more expensive now that mortgage rates are up. And, you know, I wanted to see people get the absolute most out of their home. But when it comes to solar energy, I mean, that's at the forefront of everyone's mind. And they want to save the planet. They want to be environmentally conscious. And they want to save money every month. And solar energy is the first thing to come to mind because it's very easy to understand. But the thing that you have to consider first is that it is a capital improvement to your home. Mm -hmm. So if you bought your house, say, five or ten years ago, and you paid $300,000, I mean, that house may have grown up in value because of appreciation to about $400,000. And that's a nice thing to know because that's your retirement nest egg. So Mm -hmm. now you're thinking, well, hey, we're spending $200 a month just on electricity alone. Should we spend $20,000 or $30,000 for solar energy to save money every month and save our planet? Well, we want to go back to, I want to say, try to pretend you're like the guy on this whole house and do a feasibility study. Take a, get your kids involved, get a compass, get a sketch pad, and three times a day on a sunny day, take a walk around your yard. You want to remember that trees are a good thing. Trees absorb carbon dioxide. They look beautiful in your landscape lawn, and they shade your house. Now, you might think, well, if I'm going to put solar panels on my house, why would I want to have a big tree putting shade on the roof? Well, that's the thing about the feasibility study, because when you look When you walk around the perimeter of your house, if you have a single-family home, at noon, at 3 o'clock, and at 6 o'clock at night, what you're actually doing is you're following the arc of the sun. Mm -hmm. And you want your family members or your children to make sketches of, look at your lawn furniture and see where the shadows are falling. Look at the trees and see where the trees are falling. And you might say to yourself, Well, if we want a lot of trees around our house, why don't we put our solar panels 
along the side of the fence where it has full sun every day. It's near a vegetable garden. And then you're really having a sustainable life because you have both organic vegetable gardens and you have your solar panels. So you want to look at the whole house feasibility on what works for you and your household. Mm -hmm. And you also want to make sure that your roof is strong. It can hold the solar panels. I mean, if you bought a Victorian house that you absolutely adore, it's got a farmhouse porch, but it's got very pitched roofs. It's got a lot of architectural moldings and woodwork. You might think there's not a lot of roof space up there, and mm -hmm. that roof was a special roof. It's made of very expensive tiles, and it would cost us a fortune to replace that roof. So you want to project the future. Like the next five or ten years, you have to ask yourself, Will I have to replace my roof? Will it need any repair? Does, does the shape and the style of my roof, will it be able to hold the panels? Mm -hmm. And remember, any solar, solar photovoltaic energy consultant is going to tell you that you need to have at least 600 square feet of south-facing sun as a bare minimum. So when you mm -hmm. take your walk outside, Look up at your roof and see if you can find a 20-foot by 30-foot area where you know it's getting at least four or five hours of sun a day. Mm -hmm. And ask yourself, is this where I should or must place the solar panels? And mm -hmm. try to think about all of the different options you have with the new technologies in solar panels, such as the kind of solar panels that have a little rotator blade that actually follow the sun. So you can put the panels on the north side of the roof, but they're going to tilt a little bit as the sun arcs across the house. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. other important thing you want to look at is the value of your house and will you get your money back when you spend money on the solar panels. Now, I want to tell you, the price of solar panels has dropped about. 90% in the past 10 years. I mean, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. So these figures that I'm giving you now were like double 10 years ago. But according to the Berkeley National Labs, if you put a 5-kilowatt system on your home, it would add $20,000 to your property value. So let's say you spend $15,000 on a solar energy system. Mm -hmm. Well, the payback now according to Energy Sage, is only 8.7 years. But if you Google what is the payback on solar, you might get answers of 15 to 20 years because a lot of that data on the Google algorithm is from media that has been out there for the past 20 years. Yeah. So right now, your payback on a $15,000 investment, if you're saving $2,000 a month, that's like... a that's like a seven, eight-year payback. Right. No, that's a much different I financial. I solar yeah. panels for every state in America. The current prices, and it's amazing that even in the coldest states like Maine and Vermont, and looking at the warmest states like Arizona and Alabama, what really surprised me was that the range, the bottom is around thirteen thousand, and the top is around seventeen thousand. So when you think about it, that's a pretty close range. Mm -hmm. So the national average for a solar panel system, like a 5K system, which is a 5-kilowatt system, is about $15,000. 
So if we look at the Berkeley study saying it'll add 20000 and you have a payback of seven or eight years, what that really means is you're actually getting, you're doubling your financial investment because you're spending 15, getting 15 back in savings, and then your property value is going up by that same amount of money. Mm-hmm. So that's the other part of the feasibility study you want to do is should I... Absolutely. And I'm just wondering, Anna, you know, Anna, I want to talk about sizing. Let's say that you do the feasibility study and right on, you're, you're able to do it. You've got the right uh, spot and you, you want to do it. What are some of the things that, that people should consider when they're determining how many kilowatt hours, you know, their solar energy systems need to produce? How do we right size our solar energy systems? Okay. Well, the average solar and the average electricity use in America is about 900 kilowatt hours a month. And so what you want to do, the second part of your feasibility study is to look at a 12-month history of your utility bills. And when you can look at your printed bills, but you can also go online to your your website, the website of your utility provider, and they might they have bar charts and graphs, mm-hmm. and you might see an option there called the green button. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to see that in the winter months, your electric bills might be three or 400 kilowatt hours per month. But then in the summer months, because of your air conditioning, it might be seven or 800 or even 1,000 kilowatt hours per month. So you want to total up all of those kilowatt hours and divide it by 12. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to get your monthly utility average. So when you're speaking with a solar energy consultant, they're going to tell you that the size, shape, and pitch of your roof, whether or not it faces south, all of these physical characteristics of your house are going to be taken into account. And a very important feature is the location, because the location of where you live is going to be the number of hours of direct sunlight per day. Mm-hmm. And then a, a solar panel delivers about one kilowatt hour per day of energy. And so if you want to have your system produce 900 kilowatt hours per month, you would need like 30 panels because that would be Mm -hmm. 30 kilowatt hours a day. And when you're shopping for solar energy, you're going to see them referred to as size, like a 5 kilowatt system or Mm -hmm. a 10 kilowatt system. And the map is pretty simple. A 5 kilowatt system will give you 5,000 kilowatt hours per year, and a 10 kilowatt system will give you 10,000 kilowatt hours per year. which would more than cover the typical usage of 900 kilowatt hours per month. Mm -hmm. But here's my question for you, Anna, because, you know, some people are starting to purchase electric vehicles that they charge at home. And maybe, you know, like in the state of California, you know, the state is moving towards electrification of, of homes and commercial real estate. And it could even result in, you know, uh, municipal codes that require electrification when people are replacing uh, appliances that use natural gas, things like that. So if we want to take those things into account, how do we do that? How do we right size our uh, solar system, you know, our solar panel system to take into account future um, electrification or EVs? Hmm. 
Well, yeah, there is, there is the road to electrify our entire homes. It's just a wonderful route. So try to remember that when you install solar panels in your home, you, you're going to have to upgrade your electricity and add the inverter com- components mm-hmm. to change everything from DC to AC. But mm-hmm. you don't have to have a 10K system at once. You can start off with, with a smaller system. Mm-hmm. Cut your electric bills in half. And then when you can afford it, a couple of years down the road, you can add more panels to your house or put a solar array panel that are ground-mounted in your rod on your roof. But yeah. if you want to electri- you have an, a charging station for your car, you might be able to do that when you have a larger system and you're producing what's called excess generation. Yep. Now, a net zero is when your, your house, your renewable energy system is producing the same amount of energy that your house consumes. So if you're, if you're consuming 900 kilowatt hours and generating that, you're at the net zero. But positive energy is when your electric meter is working in reverse mm-hmm. and you're actually generating more energy. And what are you going and- to do with that leftover energy? Well, exactly. And, and Anna, tools, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we're going to take okay. a quick commercial break because, okay. and I want to go back to okay. this because that excess energy opportunity is very exciting. And so we're going to take a quick commercial break. We have so much more to talk about with Anna right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. 
Our guest today is Anna DeSimone, and she is a nationally recognized expert in housing finance. And our topic today is renewable energy options for your home. And this is not a kumbaya conversation about the virtues of renewable energy. This is an economic grown-up conversation about investing in your home and how various renewable energy options make fiscal sense um, for homeowners. And right before we went to commercial break, and I'm so sorry I had to interrupt you there, Anna, but we were talking about what happens when you're producing more energy than you use uh, with your solar panels. Um, And I want you to finish your thought there. Talk to us about what that means and some of the opportunities for homeowners that are able to do that? Well, excess generation is positive energy, and that's when your solar system, your, any type of renewable energy system is producing more energy than your house consumes. So you can sell your excess energy in the form of renewable energy certificates called RECs, also known as solar renewable energy certificates. And these certificates can be sold when they when you reach a thousand kilowatt hours, so that or like one megawatt, and they might be worth anywhere from three to five hundred dollars, depending on when you sell them and which state you're in, because the prices do vary, just like the stock market. But mm-hmm. RECs are not legal in every single state in America, but the majority of states, and you can sell if you can sell them, it's a good way to make an extra few thousand dollars a year. But I think what a lot of people are doing is they're taking that excess generation and they're powering their electric cars or they're setting up charging stations to power their lawnmower or their e-bike. And I think that's a very good thing also is to be able to save money on your heating and cooling bills but also power your car. Mm-hmm. But a very important part of renewable energy that Jill mentioned and I I, I just can't say how happy I am to share this with you, but there's, there's a product called a power cell, also known as a backup battery. And so what a power cell is that is directly connected to your solar photovoltaic panels. And so when you're, when you're um, making your own energy, when your system is producing energy, it is storing the energy on the grid because you're on a two-way connection with your grid, your utility Mm -hmm. grid. But you're also storing energy into that power cell. And you're able to cut some really um, advantageous financial deals with your utility company because by having a power cell in your house and your own stored energy, you're able to tap into some of that energy and what we call – pay the avoided cost rate when you do get your energy from the grid. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very complicated financial structure, but what you end up with is like a mini power plant on the walls of your garage. Mm-hmm. But a very important part of having a backup battery system is that when there's a power outage, you're basically able to live off the grid. And what a lot of people don't realize is when they have solar energy, they're thinking, okay, if I lose my power, I've got electricity that I'm producing myself from my solar panels. But here's the thing. You're on a two-way connection with your grid unless you're living off the grid. Mm -hmm. But on a two-way connection, you are using the power that you generate from your own solar panels, say, during the day when the sun is out. But then later, you are when that 
is depleted, you're drawing your electricity from the grid. So because it's a two-way connection, when the power, when there's a, a hurricane or a power outage, because of the safety of the workforce, your utility company has to shut off, cannot turn the power on. Mm-hmm. So there, there is no access to your stored energy when it is on the grid. Mm-hmm. And so depending on the size of the storm and the length of your power outage, a power cell or a backup generator or battery could probably supply your house for several days or you know, even, even weeks, depending on the size of the system. Mm-hmm. I so think that's it's a definitely huge a good thing to yeah. consider when you're installing solar panels is to also price it and have backup batteries installed at the same time. Yep, absolutely. I want to I want to pivot the conversation to another technology, uh, one that we don't hear quite as much about, but I'm pretty excited about it. Um, geothermal energy. Um, talk to yeah. us first about how it works, and and you know what is the mechanism for using geothermal energy to heat and cool a home? Well, geothermal energy is amazing. And what it is, it's free. And there's an endless supply in perpetuity. It's available 365 days a year, 24-7. So what it consists of is there are hot and cold thermal properties far below Earth's core. And so with geothermal mechanisms, there's two types. There's the vertical loop, and then there's the horizontal loop. So with the vertical loop, you're sending pipes anywhere from 100 to 300 feet deep into the ground. And then the collectors draw up the hot properties through one pipe and the cold properties through another pipe in that loop from your ground-installed uh, heat pump. And then... The horizontal systems are more widely seen in rural areas because they are shallow, like even as shallow as 12 feet deep, but they, but they are covering in a broader area. But um, Yeah, is, is this an you know, option anywhere, or is it just in certain locations? I mean, what steps would a homeowner take to find out if geothermal energy is right for their home? Well, the first thing they have to do is go on the Department of Energy website and click on the heat maps. Because as of now, even though geothermal energy is wonderful, you're not going to see it in every, every state in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it's predominant in the West Coast, in the Southwest. And then there's a company called Line Energy, which is building individual uh, geothermal sites, uh, gener- <clears throat> systems for people and their, uh, their homes in Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and they've done a lot of work in upstate New York. And um, I think that yeah. you're most likely to see that geothermal is an option when you're buying a brand new home from a building developer. Okay. So let's say you have a developer in Austin, Texas, and he's building 20 or 30 custom-built homes. They're energy-efficient homes. They might be offering lead platinum. And in the advertisement, you'll see for 6000 or maybe $8,000 more, you can have geothermal. And you're thinking, wow, that sounds like a bargain. Because if you have an existing house and want to install geothermal, you might 
have to pay, you know, as much as $20,000 or even more, depending on how deep they have to drill the wells. Mm-hmm. And so as a, homo- as a homeowner inside a brand-new development, the reason why you get the geothermal heat at a lower cost is because the developer is doing all of the drilling and setting up a system to serve like 20 people in the development, and what your your heat pump is operating for just your house, but it is feeding off the wells that were drilled for the entire development. Mm-hmm. Now, keep sense. in mind that geothermal can is is great because it can heat and cool your entire house, and it also can be set up to be <clears throat> to uh, heat your hot water. Uh-huh. You just have to get a separate heat pump just for the hot water. Okay. Which is great. And, and how, how do geothermal energy systems compare to other renewable energy systems in terms of like, you know, there's always maintenance, um, you know, the, and, and effectiveness. I mean, what do customers who actually have these systems say about them in terms of cost and maintenance and their satisfaction? Well, I haven't really seen any satisfaction surveys, but mm-hmm. I learned a lot in, you know, in doing my research for the book. And everyone seems to be happy you know, having geothermal because it's clean energy and it's, it's always available. It doesn't cost anything. And also the homeowner is only really going to have to worry about maintaining their ground heat pumps. And their, you know, their hot water heat pump for their geothermal system, they're, they're not going to be involved in we're, they're not going to have to worry about the pipes that are drilled uh, 100 feet deep under their house. Mm-hmm. But I just want to give you that website address. It's just go to energy.gov and then click on geothermal maps. And you can also learn a lot more than what I'm telling you on the show about geothermal. Sure. And you might be able to find out when it's coming to your area because there are always updates on that site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we really didn't talk about this when we were talking about solar, but I want to touch on it because you know, I just asked you about the maintenance required for a geothermal system. You know, what do people have to do in order to ensure that their solar uh, energy system remains effective? I know there's maintenance involved. What are some of the things that homeowners need to consider, um, you know, if they're going to consider solar mm-hmm. and in terms of maintenance? Well, they want to make sure that their electrical box and circuit is, you know, is up to date and, you know, it's sufficient for their new system. But as far as maintaining the panels, um, the solar energy experts just recommend that maybe they get cleaned two or three times a year. And this may change depending on where you live, because if you have a 20-degree slope and you have a normal amount of rainfall in your area, your solar panels are going to get an automatic washing Mm-hmm. on a regular basis, and that keeps them clean. But if you're in a dry area, um, you might want to either hire a local contractor to, to clean them or just give them a little shower with your garden hose once in a while. Yeah, and, you know, that's something that, it's free. Okay, and that's something that I know in, in my area of Northern California, we not only do not get a lot of rain, we also have a lot of particulate matter in the air where a lot of us live. And so that does tend to build up pretty quickly. So it's something to think about. We're oh, going to take a true. quick commercial. Yeah, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We have so much more to talk about with Anna. So don't okay. go away. Okay. We'll be right back after this. 
News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. World. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could all tune in and join us. Our guest today is Anna DeSimone. Check out her bio. You know, you all can see that on uh, the Go Green Radio website. You can see it on the e-card if that's how you learned about us. Um, But check out her bio. I mean, she has quite a background in housing finance, and that's the, the lens through which we are tackling this topic of renewable energy options for your home. Anna, I want to pivot to wind power. I'd love for you to give us just a brief description of how the wind can be converted to electricity. How does that work? Oh, windmills are beautiful. I mean, if I had an acre of land, I would have a windmill in my backyard. I mean, we're talking about one of the world's oldest forms of energy. And it's so simple to understand. It's so what a turbine is mounted on the top of a tower, which is connected to a generator. And so what you have is like a propeller. You have three blades that spin, and it creates an aerodynamic force that enables a generator to produce electricity. And so as long as you get the proper permits, and it's legal for where you're living and the height and the setbacks, you can also have a two-way connection with your utility grid. And it works the same way as solar energy. You're, you're producing energy each month, and it's reducing your, your monthly electric bills. Mm-hmm. And um, you take your energy from the grid when that is depleted. <clears throat> or you can set up a system where it's just off the grid. Mm-hmm. You know, talk to us. I, I know that we've all seen the large wind turbines. These are utility-scale wind you know, production turbines, but for the smaller units that would be suitable for residential use, how do they differ? Um, tell us a little bit more about what we need to think about if, if we're going to consider putting something like this on our homes or on our property. 
Yeah, well, the smaller systems that you would have in your home are called or known as community wind turbines, uh, distributed wind turbines. And, you know, these are made of composite materials or fiberglass. And when you talk about the commercial uses and the large-scale wind projects, I mean, you're seeing them more and more every day. But the two types, you know, the horizontal axis has three blades. It looks like a propeller. And that type of turbine operates, has to face the wind. It operates upwind. And that's the most common type that you would probably have in a small distributed wind package. But the vertical aspect is, is commonly known as the egg beater mm-hmm. because the blades are omnidirectional and it kind of spins around in a shape like an egg. But um, I think that if you're, if you're exploring wind energy, you'll notice that the manufacturers will offer you a whole package. They'll sell you the tower, the foundation for the tower, the turbine, the controller, the grounding system, and the batteries. So all you have to do is just make sure that you, know, you have the proper permits and the legal setbacks required for your town and talk to your utility company. And uh, if you're living in a windy area, and especially if you're living in a hilly area, you're, you're going to be able to generate a lot of energy if you have enough land on your property. Mm-hmm. Is it possible or even economically feasible to offset a home's entire energy usage with wind power? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could do a standalone system and live off the grid if you're living in an area that has a lot of well, if you have a high tower or if you're in a hilly area or if it's very windy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can also have that two connection with your utility company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, the infrastructure of all of the things that I'm talking about with solar, wind, and hydroelectric, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be on a two-way connection with your utility grid. With geothermal is not about electricity, it's heat and cooling and your hot water heater. But when you are producing electricity yourself from your equipment, then you can either do it standalone and live off the grid, or you can be connected to your utility company. But I want Mm -hmm. to say with those three types, wind, hydroelectric, which I think Jill is going to ask me about next, and, of course, solar, there is a 26% federal tax credit. So if you spent $15,000 on a system this year in 2022, you will get almost $4,000 back as a bottom line dollar-for-dollar tax credit. So a tax credit can be carried forward. So if you don't owe $4,000 on your taxes, it can be carried forward to next year or the year after. And and if you look up the IRS rules on these tax credits, you're going to find out that it's not just for the solar panels or the wind turbine or the hydroelectric pump. It's for everything. All of the money that you put into the components, the inverter to convert from DC to AC, all of the and all of the installation costs, this is all going to be captured in the on the portion that you can get that 26% bottom-line credit. But in addition to that, no matter what energy improvement you make on your home right now in America, whether it's extra insulation, air sealing, 
Uh, if you're upgrading your furnace, you're getting a heat pump, you're buying a new hot water heater, if it's energy-efficient measures, there is a very long list of deductions. And so, of course, the difference between a credit and a deduction is a credit is a, reduces your taxes and a, duck, and a deduction reduces your gross taxable income. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you spend $5,000 on improvements... You're going to be able to write that off the top of your taxable income on your tax return. Now, you know, the 26 credit will drop to 22% next year, and as of now, it's expected to expire at the end of 2023, mm-hmm. but I don't think it will expire, but I'm, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. it would be counterproductive to some of the the goals that we have <laughs> in terms of reducing yeah, sure. our yeah our uh, our carbon footprint, but also reducing our reliance on foreign yeah. fossil fuels. So that that would be a little bit counterintuitive, but I guess yeah. we'll see. Um, I, I you mentioned hydroelectric power for residential use, and I want you to talk to us about that. I mean, if a homeowner lives adjacent to flowing water, what are the steps they need to take in order to set up a micro hydropower system? It's wonderful. I mean, if you have a, a stream or a river that has some activity, if it's flowing water, especially if you live in a hilly area, you're able to generate a decent amount of power by installing a hydroelectric pump. But there's a couple of steps you need to take. First of all, you need to get someone to come in, a consultant, to assess the level of energy that can be potentially obtained from the flowing water. And that test is going to tell you what the number of watts. Like it'll say, well, on a mm-hmm. typical day, so many hours of activity, it, it will produce 100 watts of electricity. Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing you need to do after that, you want to go to your town hall and obtain a permit. And there's two types of permits, maybe not in every single state, but in many jurisdictions. One would be a permit for you to, you know, install a hydroelectric water pump on your own water. And the other one is to as a standalone system. Mm-hmm. And the other type of permit is installing a system where you're also going to be connected on a two-way connection with your utility company. And mm-hmm. it's not that one is good and one is bad or more expensive. It's just that the authorities want to know, you know, what your plan is. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody will also ask you to have your water rights validated. Because even though the stream or the river is showing up on your land, I think maybe an escrow company or a title company can probably explain this to you better than me, but sometimes there's, there's, <clears throat> there are rights that belong to you know, other people because that water is running through your land. So you want to validate your rights. And the other thing that your town and municipal offices are going to want to know is, are you, is what you're doing going to impact or harm the environment? Mm-hmm. So if you have fish or wildlife, algae, or anything that's in that you know, body of water or watershed area, they want to make sure that what you're doing is not going to harm the environment. And then, you know, when all is said and done, you can get going. And the best resource available Mm-hmm. is a guide that is published by the Department of Energy, and it's called Planning a Micro-Hydro System, 
Mm-hmm. And what I love about that guide is it includes drawings and a lot of extensive information. So you actually see how the system works. It's mm-hmm. great. So check that yeah. out. I did check that out. I read that in your book, uh, Living in a Home That Pays You Back. I highly recommend to our listeners. Um, And I did check that out. And I think, you know, one of my, um, you know, one of the thoughts I can't help but bring to the table on this is the way that drought is spreading across our country. I mean, I I look at the U.S. drought monitor map um, weekly. I live in California, so it's almost required reading if you, you know, care about these issues. And what strikes me is that you know, four or five years ago, it was really just the the West Coast that was in severe or extreme drought. Now half the yeah. country is is in that predicament. And so, you know, yeah. there, there's a vulnerability there. Um, but, you know, there are some areas of the country where you're just less vulnerable to that kind of a, a dry up. But even on a utility scale in California, uh, you know, our hydroelectric went belly up um, last year. Our one of our largest hydroelectric, you know, utility scale power plants at the Oroville Dam had to be turned yeah. off for the first time in its history last August because Lake Oroville was so low. And that's the headwaters of the California State oh. Water Project. And so we that lost so good, Yeah, we lost a good 18% of what? our state's, uh, you know, renewable energy because we just we couldn't produce hydroelectric um in California. So it's it's tough. But these are things that you know, if you live in the right place, this is a great solution. And and Anna's book is full of great resources and that's one of the things I love about it the most. You've got to check out Living in a Home that Pays You Back because it is chock full of very current, very relevant resources that I just love. Speaking of which, you know, we were talking about some of the government incentives and rebates and things like that. You have a whole section on that in your book, Anna. And, um, you know, what kind of government incentives are there besides, you know, the, the tax breaks for a micro hydropower system? Do we get any other subsidies, any other help with those types of systems? Well, I want to say that what I'm about to say is not just for micro-hydropower. It is for any renewable system that you install in your home, or it can be for just energy-efficient measures. And, you know, as you know, I have a resource of rebates, incentives, and policy for all 50 states and all the Canadian provinces. And, you know, in every book that I write, I include a state-by-state directory and mm-hmm. of whether it's farms or housing finance agencies. And the reason why I do this is because when you're Googling the answer to a question, you are getting a large assortment of information. Mm-hmm. And you're also getting a lot of advertisements from providers, whether they're mortgage lenders or home builders or solar energy providers. And so people today, they need to know what's available to them, and they especially need to know what is cheap or free. 
Mm-hmm. And so in every book that I write, I list all of the municipal offices, the state housing finance agencies, the housing partnership programs, you know, and then for the payback book, it's about the energy saving and energy efficient programs. I love there that, Anna. There are tens of thousands yep. of local municipal programs and grants. So if you mm-hmm. have a handicapped member of your household, if you have any type mm-hmm. of special need, I'll just give you an example. The state well, of actually, Oregon, Anna, yeah, you know what? You actually, know, Anna, I want you to talk to us discount. about that yeah. on our next segment because we've got to take a okay. quick, quick commercial break. Okay. But when we come okay. back, there's more Go Green Radio right after okay. this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. We're talking about renewable energy options for your home. And, you know, sometimes we talk about the philosophical, why this is good for the planet angle of renewable energy, but not today. Today, we're talking brass tacks. We are talking, you know, dollar signs because we have a housing finance expert, Anna DeSimone, with us to break this down from an economical, grown-up discussion about an investment uh, perspective on renewable energy for your home. And right before the break, we were talking about government incentives. And Anna, you were just about to give us an example from the state of Oregon. And I want to give you a chance yeah. to finish that thought. Yeah. Well, it's like many states, they're not, they're not alone. But I happened to notice it yesterday when I was, re- was catching up on the laws. But if you're, if you have, a, if you're a veteran or an active member of the, of the U.S. military, you can get a 50% discount on the low interest rate loans and grants that are available for energy improvements on your home from, you know, from the state of Oregon. And so I'd like to say that, you know, one of the oldest expressions in real estate is location, location, location. (laughs) But when it comes to the topic of renewable energy, location, location is important because you need to have the renewable energy source available. The, the amount of sun, the amount of wind, you know, the flowing water, all of these mm-hmm. things, the geothermal, it has to be available. Mm-hmm. But also, 
always think local. Start Googling your way through your town website directory, the town housing department. Look at homeowner grants, and you're going to see the words energy improvements and weatherization pop up off the page no matter where you go. So $5,000 here or $10,000, 0% loan, a $20,000, 2% loan, it could be in the form of what we call a silent second mortgage, which means you don't make any payments on that loan. You only pay it off when you sell your house. All of these programs, and I said earlier, there are tens and thousands of them, are available from state and local housing finance agencies. Mm -hmm. And I want to just close by saying that the reason why I decided to write the book on energy-efficient homes and net zero homes, renewable energy, is because when I was doing my research for my housing finance books, I, I was in the websites of all of like 900 housing finance agencies across America, including Hawaii and Alaska, every day for almost a year. And I was amazed at how much was being offered to homeowners for energy improvements. And, you know, because these are government-sponsored enterprises, you're not going to see them advertised. It's not going to pop up on your Internet browser. And so remember that if you have special needs family members, handicapped, elderly family members, there are programs for you that will help you. And if you have friends or if you are in what they call a low to moderate income price range, Mm -hmm. there are even more energy-saving programs for you. And I'm finding, because I do this full-time, I keep track of what the states are doing. And um, I remember on our last show I had announced there were 1,500 policies made in America Mm -hmm. over the past five years on the topic of renewable energy and energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. And just in the past 12 months alone, those legislative policy changes have grown to almost 1,800. Wow. Look around you, look where you live, and you're going to find that you have a city or a town that's giving back, and they want to help you. Yeah, it's in their best interest. I mean, there's a lot of of pressure on various, you know, municipalities and, and county government agencies to become more energy efficient, bring the energy demand down. And so, you know, that's the reason why they're applying public dollars to to doing this, to financing these programs, because there, there's increasing pressure to bring down our collective energy load. You know, there's one technology we haven't touched on yet, and I want to give you a chance to touch on it real quick, um, and that's biomass. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how a biomass system works in a home? Yeah, well, it's funny because when I was talking about location, location, biomass availability does tend to fluctuate depending on where you live in the country. But, but that's not for all the biomass types of uses. But biomass is another ancient technology, and there are countries in the world, underdeveloped countries around the world, mm-hmm. and their only means of energy is through biomass. But what it, what, when you see the word biomass, that's, that's like the umbrella term. And what it is, is um, it, it produces biofuel and bioheat. 
And what you're going to see is wood stoves and pellet stoves that have pellets and briquettes that are made from, you know, all of these sources of biomass. And biomass is actually made from the burning the waste and residue from forests, agriculture, algae, and um, a popular way for our American farmers to make money these days is to sell their corn stover. So corn stover is a leftover husks and leaves and stalks from corn after the harvesting. And when that is, when the farmers sell that to the biomass company, you know, they can make money. And mm-hmm. that corn stover is usually turned into, you know, cellulose to eat all. But I don't want to get too technical. <laughs> but so, anyway, so bioheat, yeah. the thing I love about biomass and bioheat products is, if you don't own a home and you are renting an apartment or renting a house, you can buy a, a pellet stove and you're, you'll have renewable energy working to heat your living room. I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to be a standalone system, but it's safe, it's clean energy, and mm-hmm. you're not burning fossil fuels. Well, and, and is there an emissions issue with these systems? I mean, um, you know, how do, once there's material being combusted, I mean, what's the, the ventilation of these types of systems? How does that well, work? Well, they do need to be ventilated, but I think you're going to find that in the biofuel and bioheat sector that the technologies are changing every day. And as a mm-hmm. matter of fact, there's a lot going on in Canada in the bioheat industry, and there, there are some systems that are actually being built where you have a, a biofuel boiler and uh, some type of a ductwork, and you're doing what's called a whole house central heating system with bioheat. Yeah. And these are very common in remote areas of Canada, and, of course, they're all off the grid. Mm-hmm. But you're able to heat your home. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course, you're burning cordwood or wood chips and wood pellets and wood briquettes that are especially made from biomass materials. But as far as carbon emissions, how much embodied carbon is in these products and what, the, you know, what they're mm-hmm. going to do to your house from, a, from an air quality standpoint, mm-hmm. it, it's not going to be the same as other types of renewable energy. But mm-hmm. I think if you do some, if you're interested in that, I think it's important to read the guidelines and and do some work on those options. You know, Anna, we've only got a couple minutes left in the show. Actually, just a minute, and so I want to give you okay. just a, a few seconds to give any parting thoughts to our listeners. Well, no, I think I said it. You know, just look yeah. around you to see what what. Um, Incentives are available to you. I mean, Energy Star rebates, incentives from your utility companies. If you, with solar energy, your utility company is going to give you a wide range of incentives for net billing and net metering. You may or may not be able to sell your certificates. I mean, you know, things today in the renewable energy world have kept on, you know, has a lot of rules and sub-rules, and these are all and you've captured to that in, And you've captured yeah. that in your book so well, and that's yeah. why I want to thank you for this book, Live in a Home That Pays You Back by Anna DeSimone. I highly recommend. And, and this is a, a very easy read and something that can really help you make sense of. It has the 
best resources um, that available for you to do the research that's necessary um, to bring these technologies yes. to your home. Anna, thank you for joining us. Thank you oh, to our listeners you. for joining us as well. We're going to be here oh. same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week Art to our listeners and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.